values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Where else? Where else are you going to hear Tone Loke at 10 o'clock in the morning? Um, let's start with uh, the unlikely source for oil. We've talked about the economy. We're going to kind of wrap this together in the next segment of the show. I want you to hear a couple of things about what's happened with OPEC. And I thought this was pretty interesting. Uh, the guys over at Gas Buddy, Patrick DeHaan specifically, who is a frequent guest here and around the country, when gas prices were going up like they were, a lot of attention paid to Gas Buddy. And uh, Patrick Don has been a wealth of information, not just about what's happening, but they have great insight into why it's happening. So I want you to hear this. I played this earlier, but I want to start with this again. This is Patrick DeHaan talking about OPEC and what's happening with gas prices. Potentially could be signaling more agreement with Russia, which was also pushing for production cuts. So it's very interesting timing, especially ahead of the midterms. It's not impossible that OPEC, knowing Americans are very sensitive to gas prices, could be trying to send a political message as well. So Patrick Don, Gas Buddy, saying that this is part of a political message possibly by the OPEC nations in Russia. It's no surprise to anybody in America that Russia would love to be able to defeat America. They have been our sworn enemy back in the Cold War in the 80s. The Cold War was won because of the strength of our economy versus the weakness of theirs. Uh, Most people politically have described Russia as a glorified gas station. or That oil industry, fossil fuels, our, their economy. And so if they are able to adversely affect our economy while they're bolstering theirs, that is a win-win for the Russians. So partnering with the UAE, partnering with these OPEC nations, driving up the cost of oil, driving down production, gives them an opportunity to enrich themselves while they're fighting this war that has not only been so expensive with human life, it's been expensive with money as well. The people are able to now... Um, the people are able to now uh, look at what's happening worldwide and say, let's partner with some of these other nations that don't like the U.S. And if we do that, now we're in a position where we can strengthen us and weaken them. It's a win-win. So how, what effect, what effect is this going to have on us with prices going up? It will affect, in the end, all of us by somewhere in the ballpark of 10 to 30 cents a gallon. But in some regions, you won't notice it, basically in the West Coast and the Great Lakes and Plain states. But you will notice it pushing prices up rather soon in areas like the South, the East Coast, and Northeast, along with the Rockies. So here is a comment from somebody, the White House, a senior advisor from the White House, um, that uh, um, Karine Jean-Pierre was talking about this uh, yesterday and saying that they didn't see a scenario where we were going to see them. Uh, I'll let you hear it. This is what she said. I believe this was 24 hours ago. Um, if not, it was just w- within the last couple of days. We're not considering uh, new releases releases from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. <laughs> We don't see this happening. We're not going <laughs> to we will not be releasing any more from the strategic oil reserve. Here is White House senior advisor uh, for energy. The president released ordered the release of 180 million barrels uh, over a period of, uh, of six months or so. We are not there yet. Uh, we haven't finished releasing the 180 million. We will continue to do that in a manner that is prudent and that is uh, consistent with bringing prices down. <laughs> so which is it? Are you going to stop releasing oil or you're releasing more oil from the strategic reserve? Here's my issue with this is the 
If you think that it's a confusing message to the American people, it is. A confusing message to the world, it is. These are confusing messages which show you there is a lack of planning. And this is where leadership matters. I use sports analogies all the time. When you have a, a team that doesn't seem prepared, when they take the field without a game plan on either side of the ball or even in special teams, they usually pay a heavy price. Everybody wins games. Everybody loses games. But a team that looks ill-prepared, that is a leadership issue. And there are departments of our government, especially within the military, but also in the State Department, people that set policy and worldwide diplomacy policy that are working through scenarios 24 hours a day, seven days a week in this. If this nation attacks that nation or if somebody from this country assassinates a leader from this country, where are we positioned? What is our position on that? What do we do? If this country invades that country, where's our position? What's our stance? Who are our allies? Who are our enemies? How does that shift in the world? All of those scenarios over and over and over again so that when it happens, you are prepared. And as horrible as this sounds, this is a a, a twisted analogy, but I will say this to you. You know as well as I do, at least you should. With the death of the queen recently, do you think that the major news networks around the world magically came up with the tributes and the all of the uh, eulogies and tributes to the queen for over 70 years? Do you think they produced those that morning? No. They are prepared as a as a news organization. They're prepared in saying we know that the queen is getting up there in years. And if tragically, if something were to happen, this is what we're going to do. It is being prepared in a situation. The White House prepared seems ill prepared in these scenarios. They they seem like they are reacting way too late to problems. And that is my perception. Maybe it's not yours. But if you look at how they reacted to inflation, calling it transitory inflation, they didn't have a plan for if it got worse. And then it always seems like they're playing catch up. They're always trying to catch up. They're always trying to do something later than they should have done it in the first place. And here we are again with this deal made with OPEC and Russia, and they are getting together to drive up energy prices by driving up the price of a barrel of oil. And the reaction from the White House now, it seems to be a shift dramatically in 24 hours on their stance on the strategic reserve. You know, the policy should have been, we don't know what OPEC is going to do. This is our plan right now, but it could change. It may need to change. And it's just, it doesn't build confidence in the American people. Just my opinion. President Biden visits Hurricane Ian, uh, you know, torn cities in southwest Florida. We'll get to that coming up in a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, for all you kids in the car, the reason why your parents are doing that dumb thing with their hands is it's a dance from a song from the 1980s that we all remember and can't resist when it comes on. Uh, thanks for being here this morning. Um, President Biden visited the... Uh, what is really torn apart, um, as I mentioned before, my mother's in town, uh, safe and sound, thankfully, uh, in the studio, microphone off, thankfully. Um, <laughs> that's her laughing across the room. We don't dare turn the microphone on. Um, but the uh, seeing pictures, it's very fascinating just in the last 48 hours since my mother has been here um, to realize the damage that happened to where I grew up and how out of touch they have been with society because they haven't had power, they haven't had water, they haven't had internet. So I was able to 
show damage on the internet, show pictures to my family. I've sent pictures to my family via text message and now on the computer with my mom, showing them pictures of damage to areas they haven't seen yet because they've been in the dark when it comes to the media. That's how damaged it is. Uh, the president of the United States um, is uh, it was visited Florida, and I and I will give credit where credit is due. Both Ron DeSantis, but especially President Biden, have set aside their political differences. They did for this trip for Hurricane Ian. The president visited some of the sites. I think it's important. It is very symbolic, but I think it's important for people in an area like this that is so torn apart that you have the leader of the country come there and visit you, see what's happening, and say, "Hey, we are with you." We're going to do everything we can for you. We're going to make sure that this country gets behind you and helps you rebuild. I think it is necessary for morale. Um, You know, I guess this is where I take my political shot for a moment, and I don't mean it as a political shot, more of a compare and contrast. I also think that this is the kind of visit that would be useful at the border. I think the president of the United States to go actually go to Del Rio, Texas, or go to McAllen, Texas, or go down to Yuma to put eyes on what's actually happening and shake the hands of the people that are down there trying to do enforcement and tell them, my gosh, we're with you. Um, I think that's an important piece of the puzzle as well. I'll digress from that because I just wanted to use it as a comparison because I give him full credit for what he did, for going into Florida to go with a governor that could be. There's a very good chance that this could be the person that runs against him in 2024. There is a lot of talk right now about what it looked like yesterday during the press conference because, you know, any time a president approaches a podium, approaches someplace to speak, they put the presidential seal on that podium when the president speaks. Well, Ron DeSantis, Governor DeSantis was standing behind that podium with the looking very presidential behind that seal and there has been a lot of talk about the optics of that if that this has been a mistake by the you know the Biden people and it's not him as a, as administration but people saying wow that was an optic there was a word picture or a picture that people didn't need to see just yet from his side of the aisle but they set aside all the politics They were able to work together, a commitment from the White House that the federal government and FEMA will do what's necessary. The devastation in southwest Florida is going to take years to rebuild. I was uh, seeing video, and uh, there's really only aerial footage because you can't get vehicles onto Sanibel and Captiva Islands. And you can't at Pine Island, I don't believe either. They were washed out, Boquilla. And if you if you want to look at where Tarpon Bay is on a map, and you can see where these barrier islands are that got so decimated, uh, some of these, they can't get Sanibel. You can't get to it. You cannot drive to the island. So uh, residents of Sanibel Island are going to Fort Myers Beach. They are getting permits to take a private boat into the Sanibel Harbor. And then from there, they're able to get to their homes to start cleanup. That's what's happening in Sanibel Island, Florida. Fort Myers Beach is almost completely gone. And what's still standing has to be torn down and rebuilt. This is going to be years in the making. And uh, thankfully, the federal government's standing up and they're going to do something. One thing I'll say, Marco Rubio was questioned about this, and I think he gave a very good answer when he was asked because he was the one who proposed a bill, gave a a piece of legislation that would provide billions of dollars in relief to Florida and the other areas that were so decimated by Hurricane Ian. And he was questioned by a member of the media saying, but wait a minute, when Hurricane Sandy hit, you voted against that bill. And he said they had a roof for a building in Washington, D.C. that had nothing to do with hurricane relief, had nothing to do with disaster relief. And he said to people, we shouldn't put anything in this bill either. 
And that's part of the problem with spending in Washington, and this is where I hope the dysfunction ends, that taking advantage of a situation and knowing that there is a piece of legislation being voted on that's going to provide necessary relief to a region, whether it was in New Orleans after Katrina or you know what you've seen in, in southwest Florida now, that those billions of dollars in aid are going to be necessary, that – Instead of saying we're going to vote on this piece of legislation, it's let's tack this on. We know we're going to need to vote on this. Let's put this roof on this building here. Let's do this in the middle America. Let's do this over here. Infrastructure stuff. Because you know that it's going to be a hassle trying to get it passed legitimately later. But no one's going to vote against a bill that's going to give hurricane relief to southwest Florida. We shouldn't be doing business that way. And it certainly isn't just Democrats that do it. This is a problem on both sides of the aisle. So give credit where credit's due, criticize where criticism is due. And in this case, if if we see it, if I see Republicans do it, I'll call them out on it. That this relief is necessary for the people of Southwest Florida. I would say Florida as a whole. But we shouldn't be taking advantage in either political party of tacking things onto these pieces of legislation. And I hope that it doesn't happen. I really hope it doesn't. In a moment. Why did a federal court judge rule against DACA, the DREAM Act? We're going to give you the details of why it happened next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. haven't subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, do it. Very simple to do on any device you have and never miss a minute of the show. And a big thank you to my friend Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley for the sponsorship. You can get a higher price selling your home and get guaranteed offers at higherprice.com. It's higherprice.com. All right. Um, federal judge, federal court judge rules against DACA or the DREAM Act. Why is this happening? And why? I'll be honest. Why is this such a big deal? I think this is the biggest news story of the day with all due respect that we got to keep talking about the economy and everything else. This, in my mind, is the biggest news story of the day right now because it's going to affect so many people through a multitude of generations. But a federal appeals court ruled that the Obama-era policy that protects undocumented immigrants brought into the United States as children violated federal law. But it sent a Biden administration effort to shore up the program back to a lower federal court for further consideration. So... um, We've been talking about this for a long, long time in this country, and it's time we made decisions and not just conversations. And uh, this is where we have to put this on both sides of the political aisle. And if I had my wish, if I were the president of the United States, which should scare everyone just the words of that, but if I were the president of the United States, I would be asking for a multitude of things, and one of them would be protection for the for the, for these people, these adults now that were brought here as children. It's not a perfect program. It was an executive order. It wasn't legislation, and there are people protected under it that shouldn't be. But what we have to remember is that it is, shows you the flaws in illegal immigration. When people come into this country, there are you can have your feelings about people, and I can have my feelings about people. But we have a constitution, and we have laws. And if you come to the country illegally, and you don't go through an immigration naturalization process, you are not a citizen. You're not a visa holder. You are considered by law to be in this country illegally. And it doesn't matter that you were brought here as a small child, and now you're an adult, and you are by all for all intents and purposes, you are an American. I agree with that statement 100 percent 
The law doesn't. The Constitution doesn't. There needed to be a piece of legislation that is passed through Congress, signed by the president, that protects these people. But the fact that they exist in this way, that they are considered Americans by most people, they consider themselves to be proud Americans, they consider all of this, they consider this to be their home, and they are now being told it isn't, and technically it is not. This shows you what happens with illegal immigration. Again, we can talk about our differences. And so for a moment, let's say there are no differences. Let's say that every person that crosses the southern border of the United States or anyway, northern border, doesn't matter. Anybody that comes into this country illegally is here for noble purposes. They come. They're not here legally. They haven't gone through any of the proper processes, and they began to put down roots here in America and build a life for themselves, for their children, or have children once they get here. And then they get to a place where those children that they brought here are adults, and now they've been raised as Americans. They have no status. We had two million encounters at the border this year, this fiscal year, two million, biggest ever. We are creating a desperate situation for our children and our grandchildren. Our children and grandchildren will be having this argument right now if something isn't done. And it's a failure of Congress. I should be talking to Republican members of Congress. The Democrats should be talking to their own members because neither side is going to listen. You know, I, I've uh, I've said this kind of half jokingly, but I'm, I'm serious. You know, Ruben Gallego uh, is my congressman. At least he was before redistricting. And uh, Ruben Gallego was my representative. I we don't agree on anything politically. He is a pretty staunch Democrat. I'm a staunch Republican. We disagree on policy, yet he's my representative. I can lobby him all I want. I've had him on the show. He's a very nice man. But I can tell him what I want and make demands and stomp my feet. What does he care? He knows no matter what he does, I'm not voting for him. So what does he care what I think? He doesn't. He cares what his constituents think, the people that do vote for him or the people that would vote for him. Now, as much as I said, I think he's an honorable man. You know, he served as a United States Marine. I respect him for all of those things. But politically speaking, we don't agree. So I can't see a scenario where I would vote for him. He doesn't care what I say. And I don't mean that as an insult. He cares about what his voters, what his constituents, he is there to serve his district, and I'm in it, but his policies of what best serves his district, his voter base believes in. That base has got to change their tune. So does mine. And we've got to be able to say to our members that who represent us, you've got to get something done. Because the way it's been happened, the way it's happened classically in the past, especially on immigration, if you dare, if you dare to compromise and work across the aisle on anything, it's political suicide. It is absolute political suicide. We saw it with the uh, the people here in Arizona that didn't go along with the, with decertifying the election because of what they thought was voter fraud. Every one of those people voted out. Um, so you can't disagree. Well, that's OK in some cases where you stand up and say this is our principle and we're not backing off of this. Fine. But in an issue like immigration, when we see what's happening at the border, now that we see the the DACA recipients at risk. Because this has been defeated by a federal judge. What, at what point do we as Americans say something has to be done? We have to secure the border. We have to do everything we can to get the resources at the border, ports of entry and otherwise, to make sure that fentanyl is slowed down coming into this country. All of that is necessary. And it only gets done when both sides of the aisle make an agreement. 
And I, I'm anxious to see how this happens or if it happens. And at some point when we we've done it before as voters, we have gotten outraged enough about an issue or some issues that we've made demands where there is times where the phone lines at the Capitol building were shut down by so many phone calls adamantly against or for something that it forced the hand of the leaders in Washington. And I think this is one of those issues where that should be what happens. It should be the issue of the day. We should be proud of our immigration status. What I mean by that is we are a destination for the world. We should be proud of that, that the world sees us and says we would love to be that, that the entrepreneurial spirit throughout the world, no matter what skin color you are, whatever, wherever you come from, what nation you come from, what language you speak, they look to America and say, if you want to stake your own claim, if you want to live your own life, blaze your own trail, there's one place in the world to do it, and that's the United States. Of America. And we should be proud of that. And instead, we should be also, I would say, on the other hand, we should be embarrassed for what that, that process looks like right now. It's embarrassing. It's, we should be ashamed of ourselves for letting immigration go in the direction that it's gone. In a minute, we are going to preview the debate. There is a big debate tonight, and we're carrying it live. We'll give you details on how you can hear all of it coming up in just a moment. Arizona Votes, Election Day 2022, with Mike Broomhead. Hey, thanks for being here this morning. We're over now. Neil deGrasse Tyson is headed to Arizona Financial Theater on March 9th for his Cosmic Collusions Tour. Tickets go on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. But if you'd like to try to win a pair, visit the contest page at KTAR.com. Big debate coming up tonight between a, the incumbent Senator Mark Kelly and the challenger Republican Blake Masters. Uh, I want to give you a programming note because I, as I told you, Arizona Votes. If you go to KTAR.com, Arizona Votes, we have a ton of things there, interviews and otherwise, to make you an informed voter, at least help you be an informed voter. A combination of all the shows and our news team, you can always visit there. But this afternoon, right after this show from 1215 to 2, Barry Markson is hosting a special on this debate, and it's an election special. 6 to 7 p.m. tonight, we are carrying the debate live here on KTAR. And then 7 to 8 p.m. right after, Markson is back and he's going to host that election special there as well. So we are going to have full coverage of this very important race. You can download the KTAR News app you can listen online. If you can listen in your car, we ever driving around. Well, you got the best coverage for the elections right here at KTAR News. So download the app. Um, here's the, uh, the the headline: Masters faces high stakes in Arizona Senate debate. Um, let's say this on the outset. Um, this race is is not just a big deal in the state of Arizona. This is one of the big deal races nationally because it is going to be a very narrow margin of majority for either Republicans or Democrats in the United States Senate. Now, it was predicted very early on that it would be a pretty easily victory for a couple of seats to switch over and become a Republican majority. But what's happening with uh, Fetterman in Pennsylvania and Dr. Oz, what you're seeing happen with Herschel Walker in Georgia, and here all the polls have indicated, although they are narrowing, Blake Masters is pretty far behind Mark Kelly. Mark Kelly has a huge war chest of money. But here's where someone, either one of these two candidates, and I think both of them are intelligent people, which is should be great for a debate. 
one of them could come out looking more equipped to do the job in the ways the people of Arizona want. There are stark differences between the two. That's one of the things you have to love about a debate. In a primary, you have so many candidates that are similar in their beliefs. It's more about policy and how they would get something done and little nuanced differences. Here there are dramatic differences. Mark Kelly's stance on the border and his voting record on the border, what Blake Masters wants to do. The abortion issue. If You, uh, you cannot turn on a television without a Mark Kelly ad or an anti-Blake Masters ad from a pack that talks about the, these radical views on abortion that supposedly Blake Masters has. Now, Blake's been on this show many times uh, talking about it. I'm sure he'll talk about it again. And uh, I guess maybe I'm a little bit more of a skeptic. I don't believe much of anything I see in a television commercial. I just don't um, because it is either somebody trying to cast an opponent in the worst way possible or it's a candidate trying to cast themselves in the best way possible. It's necessary. Messaging in that way is, is necessary. I think if you really want to learn about the temperament and you want to learn about the policies, Mark Kelly, Blake Masters, and I want to make sure I want to be very fair. Mark Victor is the libertarian candidate in this as well. And I, I waited to talk about Mr. Victor in all of this. Because what then what is the potential here if uh, and being I'm just trying to be honest and fair about this. The two big names in this are Mark Kelly and Blake Masters, and that's what everybody's paying attention to. But if you remember how Bill Clinton earned his uh, first presidency, it was because Ross Perot was a candidate that jumped in when H.W. Uh, Bush, uh, President H.W. Bush had promised, read my lips, no new taxes, and then taxes were raised. There were a number of conservative Republicans that were angry, and Ross Perot ran as an independent candidate and siphoned enough votes away from H.W. Bush that Bill Clinton won the first his first term as president of the United States. So with that in mind, and I'm not saying, I, and I mean this respectfully, I believe that Mark Victor is in this to win. I don't think that he is in this to be a spoiler. I don't think that that's, I'm, I'm not saying that about him, but looking at where the poll numbers are, it looks as if it's a two-horse race right now. But what factor in a debate setting would a libertarian candidate have? Would they be more likely to have people that would vote for Lake Masters say, you know what, I like this guy more? Because he's, you know, are libertarians closer in policy with Republicans or Democrats? And I think the answer is neither or maybe both on certain issues. Fiscally, they would be closer aligned to a Republican policy. Maybe not what's going on now, but a Republican policy. But on social issues for a party like the libertarians that say it's none of the government's business, uh, they would probably align themselves more with some of the Democrat policies on social issues. So it, this could be a toss-up. This should be a very interesting debate. And I think it's going to tell a big story. And uh, I had Matt Salmon in earlier, and, and Matt said that he believes it's a bigger deal for Blake Masters than it is Mark Kelly. I absolutely agree. If Blake Masters can hit a home run here today, he could he could really springboard his campaign. And we'll see which way it goes. We'll talk about that for sure on the show tomorrow. Coming up just after 11 o'clock, we're going to talk about oil and the strategic reserve. So stick around.